0: We're to get this party started today. Welcome to the Sheepdogs podcast, uh, episode nine, actually. Um, Today, we have a special guest, Nathan Crankfield. Nathan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you guys today.
0: We're excited. We're super excited. We're going to get started real quick with a prayer. Father Jacob, could you lead us real quick?
2: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, Nathan zooming in to be with us today. And may we glorify you in all we do. May we continually seek uh, the virtue of excellence in our lives, Lord, and ever follow more closer to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. May his Mother Mary to intercede for us. We pray. Hail Mary. Full, Full of grace, the Lord, Lord is, is with thee. With blessed art thou among women, and blessed and is the fruit of, of thy womb, womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for, for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit tonight mm-hmm. 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 mm-hmm.
0: Sweet.
3: And this is the we'll have this super cool intro coming in. We have we have, we have it all mixed up and everything. So yeah, uh, it's gonna be fun. But uh how are oh, you doing?
1: I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Uh I don't know if Father Jacobs told you guys, but I i just recovered from COVID, so I'm officially a COVID survivor, which is fun. <laughs> uh and, and so I just got out of quarantine Wednesday slash yesterday. I really, really got out yesterday. So um you know yeah so it's great I still have like this slight tickle in my throat every now and then I have to mute and cough but um other than that uh you know doing better (laughs) I also had my wallet stolen from my car uh during my quarantine (laughs) which was (laughs) yeah quite the shot to morale which was already not super high so uh it was a challenging it was a challenging week and a half but um things are getting better I already got a bunch of cards replaced got my license on the way already and uh, we're out of quarantine. Yeah. So, so life's, <laughs> we're, we're going back up on the road. <laughs> <which> <laughs> yeah, like yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good. So things are good.
3: Yeah. So you're living out in Colorado?
1: I do. Yeah. I live in Denver. Oh, nice. So I live in a neighborhood called Glendale, which is like 15 minutes southeast of downtown okay. Denver and, uh, have lived here since the end of May. And, um, yeah, my fiance was born and raised here. So we live about 15 minutes apart now, but I live where we'll live once we're married in March. Uh, we'll get married on March 19th. Yeah, so very excited, very excited for that. And uh, really, I've just enjoyed living in Denver. This is my home. I work from home for for Hallow for the Catholic Prayer and Meditation App Hallow, and uh, yeah, love working remote. Yeah, they definitely we definitely hit the marketing hard, uh, and have have so for three years now. But man, it's been crazy watching it grow. Uh, one of my best friends is one of the co-founders, Alessandro De Santo. And so he went to Notre Dame with all the other co-founders. There's really like a main three of them. And then there's kind of like a bit, a main five who started it. And uh, yeah, we went to high school together. So we had such an interesting, like parallel journey because when I was in the army, he was working for gold. So it was like, we were just getting worked to death, you know, super stressful, very like anti uh, the culture, very anti the faith in both places. And so we were really like going through so much at the same time. And we both had like pretty heavy conversions in college. Um, so even our conversion timelines kind of lined up together. And uh, I just remember him coming to me one day and being like, uh, Doc, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this financial system is just driving me crazy. You know, He's like making a ton of money, but he's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. He's like, Alex has this great idea. Uh, you know, we've been talking about this app and he's like, you know, how there's like all those secular meditation apps. He's like, there's no Catholic version of that. He's like, there's like, nobody meditates better than, you know, the rich tradition of Catholicism. So he's like, we need to, to make something like that. And I was like, I think it's a great idea. And I like donated to the Kickstarter at the beginning. <laughs> and, like, I remember going to like different conferences with him and spreading the word and handing out T-shirts and stuff. And so, yeah, super cool now that I got to start working with them. I do sales for them. So I work with, in like the B2B sales uh, side of things with schools and parishes. And it's been uh, just awesome. i say it's the greatest capital company in the world. Uh, we're doing super well. Um, it's a for-profit, which is, it, it's a interesting the way that it's organized. But, um, so it's not like straight for-profit, but it's kind of a combination of what like has some benefits of like community sharing uh, of a nonprofit, but uh, is still a for-profit company, which is a different than I had been working for before when I worked for two nonprofits after I got out of the army. So, um, Yeah, but just beautiful. I mean, if you've been in the app, you've seen like the collaborations we get to do with people are really awesome. We have more coming out in the next few months uh, with some pretty cool people. And uh, yeah, it's just been exciting watching it grow. It's crazy to see how, you know, well known it is now (laughs) after that early conversation when he was telling me about an idea.
3: Yeah, that's super awesome. I think the first time I heard Apollo was uh, I listened to the Catholic talk show. It's uh, it's one one of my favorite ones. So I listened to that one um and i never knew what like lexio divina was before and they told me on that on the on the podcast there that uh like they said oh like hollow will teach you how to do that and i was like oh man i really want to learn how to do that and so i went on to the hollow app and they kind of like walk you through and everything so it's definitely a super cool app i found it super super useful so
1: yeah that's awesome yeah the guided meditation i think is huge for so many people in different different areas different stages of of my prayer life that you know has ebbed and flowed since the launch of hallow with all the transitioning and moving and stuff a bunch of times you know i just i find that there's always some type of content that i i really enjoy now my jam is like i love the daily saint listen to the daily saint in the morning while i'm getting ready and learning about the saint of the day and doing a prayer with them and stuff i think is so cool so that's one of my favorites
0: awesome well, Nathan, I actually went to one of your talks, uh, hosted at one of Father Meyer's parishes uh, a couple months back. Shout That's out to right. Meyer. Um the and, OG. Yeah. It was uh it was awesome just hearing your story. I was wondering if you'd be want to share a little bit of your story, kinda going from not really practicing to coming back to the faith and like maybe some struggles in the army and and just like how you came back to the faith from when you were falling away.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I, you know, I always joke about my, uh, vast experience before I, I turned six. And so I was baptized Lutheran. My dad was kind of Southern Baptist. And then I went to a Methodist preschool, started Catholic school in kindergarten. And so going throughout, I was just kind of, you know, all over the world before I, I had hit, hit kindergarten. And then, uh, when i was just kind of like you know growing up in in central pa i was my dad's seventh of his a uh, seventh kid uh by five different women and so my mom's only child so i was somewhat an only child because my mom i lived with my mom my entire childhood my dad kind of came and went for a few years in there um but i did have him for a lot of my childhood living with us uh but definitely some interesting family dynamics with that i had i think like seven nieces and nephews by the time i was born like i was that young uh, compared to the rest of my siblings and so uh yeah just very interesting dynamics i also always say that i was biracial before it was cool to be biracial so that played a, a big part in my life you know um, it was still definitely uh a different time in the 90s than it is now you know praise god for the the progress we've made as a country and society but uh those are some of my favorite stats is like i remember um hearing stats because i do a lot of speaking on like blm and a lot of that stuff too. And, uh, you know, they say that um, now it's like seven in 10, uh, they survey when they survey, they survey people and ask it, would you be okay with your family dating somebody of a different race, and it's like seven in 10 now in 2020, you know, in the 2020s, say they'd be okay with that. And it was like one in 10 back in the 90s. So it was like, I mean, especially my parents (laughs) went went through a lot because my mom was from very rural parts of Pennsylvania, my dad was from the inner city. So also coming from just two different worlds too so my families were very different and the reason why that's important i think is because i was really struggling like any middle schooler struggles with identity and who am i and your acne and all this stuff right like it's already a hard time um and it was just extra hard i think for me at that time because i was really trying to figure out all this race stuff you know like uh it was just like i don't know how i'm supposed to behave i felt like i was too black for the white kids too white for the black kids um and then kind of going into like my turned 11, 12 is when my parents' uh, relationship started to kind of deteriorate. My dad would be gone for certain periods of time. And uh, my, you know, my oldest brother got arrested and I'm going to federal prison for over a decade uh, when I was 12. And so it was just kind of like really, really challenging years in there. And so all of that led to me being like, you know, really coming to this kind of pinnacle in this identity struggle. And, you know, you're in school as a kid, like you, you believe what you're taught in school. know and so i i did and i always believed in god and my family always taught me to believe in god and so i just believed the catholic faith and wanted to receive communion i wanted to go to confession i wanted to do everything all the other kids could do um and by this point we had totally stopped going to church so we had gone to lutheran church on and off you know we kind of when i hit like fifth grade maybe became like christmas and easter uh lutherans and then um we just kind of completely stopped going by the time i was 13 i was like well this is the only place I go anyways. You know, I'm like, this is the only place I go to church. I like going to church and I can't receive communion or do everything. So I'm like, why don't I just become Catholic? So I told my pastor, uh, our our school's pastor at the time that I wanted to become Catholic. And he's like, I mean, you don't really need to do RCIA. You've just done nine years of Catholic education. He's like, you already know everything, you know, more than they do. That's for sure. So um, he just kind of let me do it So it was like a month or two later I think it was like right after Easter in, uh, what would it have been, 2006. And so became Catholic at 13, first Catholic in my entire family. And uh, four years later, got to be my mom's confirmation sponsor, which was pretty cool when I was a senior in high school. Yeah. And so so got to do that. Uh, really ratchet years followed my conversion. Um, I, I did like everything in the next year you know, gotten to to drinking, having sex, uh, smoking weed, doing like everything. So I had this kind of very similar to a lot of people who go on retreats, like you have this huge high, and then it's like the devil just attacks you even harder on the backside of that. And 14-year-old me was for damn sure not ready for any spiritual warfare. So um, I just got annihilated. Uh, but as I, you know, I kept kind of trying to go to mass and stuff when I was 14, 15. But then really, once I got my driver's license at 16, I never missed. And even though I was still living a very, very contrary lifestyle to the one our faith calls us to, I always had that kind of anchor of every Sunday I'm going to mass, you know, and I had to at least like start to reflect and like evaluate my conscience and, um, you know, all the good things that come with with going to mass. And so it kind of always kept me at least like somewhat in the fight. And then I I made what I say is always my second best decision ever made, which was going to Mount St. Mary's University in Maryland and uh, absolutely loved it. And so I got there, went on Kairos for the second time, the Kairos Retreat, uh, really transformed my life and helped me to finally become open to, to living a life of chastity, um, really striving for it. And um, so I committed to that then with my roommate and so having the accountability there with my roommate was huge. Um, and we helped each other big time throughout our college years, Tommy, uh, Tommy Grushow. He was an absolute hero of mine at the time. Uh, and then I did Army ROTC in, in college as well. And so I became infantry officer in the Army uh, and uh, went off to Fort Benning, Georgia, did Ranger school, airborne school, my infantry training. And then when I finished that, moved up to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I was a platoon leader in the 82nd Airborne Division. In the middle of my three years at Fort Bragg, I went to Afghanistan in 2017. Ranger school and Afghanistan were definitely the low points of my faith journey uh, in the Army. Uh, The first year was pretty great. I I got to, the first seven months or so, I got to lead faith formation for some uh, soldiers in basic training, which was awesome. Um, But then, you know, Ranger School and Airborne School, or not Airborne School, Ranger and uh, my deployment were just long periods where I'd have to go without a priest, without going to mass, without any like routine or, you know, semblance of normal life. Really, we decided it was just time for me to get out. I I was ready to move on and so I went to work for Dynamic Catholic for a year as a parish consultant. Went to Benedictine College uh, for a little bit less than a year, mainly to to pick Emily up, uh, my now fiance, and, and move her somewhere else that was not adjacent, Kansas, uh, and successfully did that. And now live in Denver and uh, work for Hallow. So it's been uh, it's been an awesome journey along the ride, and and met Father Jacob and Johnny while in uh, Cincinnati as well. <laughs>
3: Um, yeah could you talk a little bit more about um how our soldiers our troops you know when they're deployed or even yeah especially when they're deployed about like how often or how do they get like the sacraments is are there the occasional priests coming in every couple weeks or how does it really work
1: yeah so definitely so it, it varies immensely um where you're at so when I was deployed I was in three different places for two months each, basically. So first I was in Jalalabad, uh, which is like Southeast Afghanistan uh, on the border of Pakistan. And uh, we were basically supporting special forces soldiers as they were pushing ISIS back into Pakistan. And um, then I had we would have a priest fly in every Monday from a, a, a nearby base. And so we never had mass on Sundays. But every Monday, we'd have mass and if you asked him, he'd do confession. Then I moved to Bagram, which we had a bigger chapel there, and there was a priest there all the time. And we would have Sunday mass in the evenings. I want to say it was like seven or something like that um, on Sunday nights. And so the problem with Bagram, it was, it was such a walk, and it was like a weird. I think it might've been like six o'clock or something like that because it was like, right. I always know it was like inconvenient whenever we'd have like dinners, especially if we'd have like important dinners. Cause when I was at Bagram's was like, Bagram was like our headquarters for our battalion. So, um, if we'd have like important dinners or things like that, it would be like right in the middle. And I'd had to like awkwardly ask to leave early and all this stuff. Um, but I remember Bagram was huge as well. And so it was really close to the chapel was really close to where our rooms were, but it was really far from our office. And so you had to work like pretty strict hours and we'd work like Uh, you work basically 12 to 14 hours a day every day, except for sometimes you'd have late calls on Fridays where you wouldn't have to come in till like 11 um, and you'd work till like eight still. And then some uh, on Sundays, you almost always had a late call, but we still had like two hours of work after mass. So you'd have to either find a ride or walk your happy ass, you know what I mean, like all the way over (laughs) to the chapel, which was, I mean, you're talking like a 30 minute walk each way, at least, you know, and so um, it was just a, it was just more of a sacrifice. So it kept a lot. It just deters a lot of people to go. Right. Obviously, if you have to work still, if you have to, you know, if during dinner or whatever. So it's just very, very deterring. And then my last one was dope. My last two months, I was in Cobb. I, I was at the Capitol and we had a priest there every day and we'd have mass like five days a week. And so it was awesome. He was like a full bird colonel American priest. Uh, first time we had like an American uh, and he was ranger tap. So he was also pretty, pretty awesome. So um, that was the best the last two months. And like the, we had a tabernacle in the chapel all the time. So you could go in there and that was when I really started to re-engage and redevelop my prayer life and stuff like that. So it was really easy to go and to, to spend time at least just in the true presence. So that was awesome. But yeah, so it varies a lot, man. Obviously like in the in the early years, there's times where guys would go hold deployments without having the opportunity to go to mass. I know I went, I had received communion once in like 13 weeks when I was in ranger school at one point. Wow. So yeah, so it just definitely varies. The army, the military attempts to, you know, make sacraments or make things available to people with religious preferences. Um, but it's definitely, it's never the top priority, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So, and sometimes rightfully so sometimes not.
3: Yeah. Cause definitely I would say like mixing that also with the fact that, um, you know, these young men heroes in the military, they are, um, in really stressful environments. I know that it's, um, you know, typically a place where like, especially young, like 18 year olds, they're probably, you know, drinking and doing all these things. A lot of the times, uh, I just know that from, you know, some family members and stuff where, you know, that's, uh, I think I, I have a couple of cousins that went into the Marines and that's when, you know, that's when they kind of, um, you know, started that, that lifestyle I would say. So it, Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting how, um, I don't know, I guess the military, it's such like an essential thing, but it's also a place where, um, you know, your faith can either be like lost or found. And we, and you talk about like, Oh, there's no atheists and foxholes and stuff like that, but it's right. like kind of a very hard, hard life to like really engage your faith and live out your faith when you're in that environment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no atheists and foxholes, but there's a lot in, the, in the barracks, you know, stateside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, especially in, in the lifestyle that they live at least. Um, yeah. It, it's an incredibly challenging place to live out your faith because of the culture that I kind of mentioned earlier you know uh that exists but um yeah it it is it's interesting i've always said that you know the military is like really really great at the virtues that they're strong in Mm -hmm. you know like strength honor discipline um courage but really really horrific at the virtues that they're not right like chastity sobriety temperance uh prudence things like that so yeah, it's interesting. You have to kind of know what you're what you're getting and what you're looking for, because I think that's true in a lot of places. You know, I think it's easy. It's it's much more obvious, I think, because they live in such the military has like such extremes with it. But I think even when you go to certain parishes or you go to certain companies, you know, or even Catholic organizations that I've worked for where it's like it's similar. Right. Like there's certain strengths and there's certain weaknesses and you have to still be discerning of, you know, what what can I grow weak in while I'm here? Mm-hmm. Almost without knowing it, you know, the same way that um I had so much uh there's so many areas that um naturally declined for me if I wasn't intentional about them when I was in the army.
3: Definitely. It kind of reminds me of just like me and Johnny here being at college, Miami University, and best party school in the country. Uh <laughs> there's so many, you know, it's it's an environment where, you know, we we really need to be intentional about what we're doing, you know, just day to day, making sure. sure. Uh, and obviously, like, being here at the Newman Center, like, we we were very fortunate that we're, we were able to find this place pretty soon after, you know, we got here. And now Father Jacob being here, like, it's it's pretty – it's helped out a lot. But, uh, you know, just being in Oxford, it's, it's been – because, you know, being a cradle Catholic and everything, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, you're in your little box. And then you get sent to Miami University, and you're kind of in a whole different – whole different circumstance mm-hmm. where you have to really figure out what you're doing. Um, For sure. But – yeah. So, you know, I was looking through your your website a little bit and you talk a lot about nice. excellence. Um, and this is something that's really like hard for me to kind of like understand. So could you define like, what's your, what's your version of excellence?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, so that's a great question. So um, yes, yeah, so I run uh, Seeking Excellence, which is my podcast and in, in ministry and everything. And uh, my definition, I don't know if I have like a full blown, like a really great or powerful one. I kind of borrow mine. Um, I just love, uh, one of the things that really impacted me when I was in college, I took ancient philosophy my sophomore year and, uh, Aristotle's definition of excellence, where he says, you know, we are, what we repeatedly do excellence, therefore is not an act, but a habit. And so I kind of took that and was like, yeah, you know, I think that sounds right. And combined that with my approach to the game of basketball, which was, you know, always striving to be a triple double kind of guy. And I didn't want to be, you know, I love scoring, but I was like, if you have all these points, no assists, no rebounds, and you can't play defense, you're so trash. You know what I mean? Like, you still, I've watched a lot of guys who could score and didn't do anything else, lose a lot of games. And so um, I always took that kind of well-rounded approach, coupled that with uh, my love for what I had learned about the Renaissance Man the year before, my freshman year of college. And the Renaissance man, for those who don't know, is is similar to that it is just kind of the triple double of life. Like it was, uh, you know, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, these guys who were trained in art, but also had experience, whether it be in battle uh, with wrestling, any type of fighting, chivalry and things like that. Uh, well-educated, you know, new history, new arithmetic speech, you know, giving speeches. uh, all kinds of different things, right? They just were trained in all these different areas, kind of where like our liberal arts education comes from, this idea of liberal arts and learning of all types of different things and having this wide range of understanding that actually makes you better, right? Mm -hmm. So you talk about that, whether you're a doctor or we talk about a lot in the military of, you know, you have these different, if you, if I would've continued on the military, I probably would've gone, I was light infantry first. I probably would've gone on to have like vehicles and be in heavy infantry as a captain um, and as a commander. Because of the fact that the army, by the time you become a battalion commander, wants you to have the understanding of all of it, right? So the more diversified you can get, the better. Um, but we live in a world now of a lot of specialization. And so to me, excellence is kind of the opposite of that, where you still strive to, you know, I, I say you don't have to be great at everything. You don't have to be ten out of ten at everything, but you can't suck at anything. Uh, you know, especially not the things that you're responsible for in life and that you have, uh, you know, to take ownership over things God trusted you. For us, we teach people seven pillars of excellence, um, and that those are the seven pillars of seven things that, that are the main areas that God has entrusted to to each person, um, and that you can't suck at any of them. And I, I always say, you know, when I was in college, I kind of took, I kind of began this lifestyle. And what I did was, <clears throat> I was like, you know, I, I could have a 4.0, and I could just, you know, stop some of the extracurricular things that I'm doing, or I could be the best basketball player on campus other than, you know, the RD1 basketball team. And I could be the top of battalion and I could volunteer every week and I could lead Bible study and I could pray for 45 minutes a day. And I could be in great shape, um, you know, while doing all these things and have a social life and have a three, six. And that was kind of, that's kind of the approach that I try to encourage people to do is still, you still don't, I didn't have a two, five doing all that, you know, cause then I think that would have been off kilter, but, to be able to do all of those things and succeed in all these other areas, make an impact and learn about myself and volunteer. So I could figure out where God was calling me and where my strengths were and what, you know, um, who I am while I'm in college. Uh, it was worth it to not have a 4.0 and to, to hover between that three, five and three, seven range.
3: That, that's awesome. Okay. Um, because I think, I think on Monday I spent about, Fourteen hours in one day, sitting in a study room over in the the business school over there. Yeah, but so that's something I definitely <laughs> need to work on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the The whole idea that you know you can be you can live like it's not about being great in one thing. I think like there's something so attractive in our society about being like the absolute best at like one thing, because like that's what brings you like the attention. Even mm-hmm. though you could be a totally like you could you could be the best. Let's just say basketball player in the world you could be but in other areas you could be horrible academics you could do all these different things but you know you would get that attention for being the best basketball player or whatever it is um, Right. so yeah definitely just living that like balanced lifestyle like that middle path is super super true like something I, I ring super true it rings true in my ear at least
0: no michael i agree and i, I i'm interested too why you actually started uh those who seek because you talked about in the military there's these great virtues, but then um, they lack in some areas. I think too in Catholic circles, Catholics often have a lot of great virtues, but they tend to lack in others. Um, did you see like a need in the market almost that like I think Catholics need to hear more about this excellence virtue uh, because even though they're great in these other ones, I think this is one where they could really um, learn more about
1: yeah, absolutely so I don't I don't know if I approached it from the sense of of virtue uh, strengths and weaknesses but i saw another a really big glaring hole right so one thing that i as i became catholic and and really owned it and owned my catholicism especially intellectually when i was in college was i just became really passionate about it and i love i love to argue i love reason i love rationality you know and uh i love to to debate people and things like that and so uh one thing that i started to realize with evangelization Um, was I had this kind of phase in my life right after college where I was like really into a lot of like non-denominational churches. I still went to mass every Sunday. I never stopped that, Um, but I was just like really intrigued by uh, so many non-denom, whether it was pastors or authors or whatever. And so I was kind of like, what is it that they're doing that is drawing so many people, especially so many young Catholics away? And so as I was learning about them and kind of seeing what was going on, like my philosophy of of why I thought this was such a need in the church was that I think, you know, when you look back at the the greatest evangelist of all time, right? Jesus himself, uh, when he was walking the earth, or even when you, if you read the acts of the apostles or learn about St. Paul and uh, the way that he went and evangelized the world after the resurrection is they so often would fit some, fix some like uh, physical or like temporal or practical need that people had, right? Oftentimes before preaching, Jesus would heal diseases or he would heal the sick or he would, um, you know, raise the dead or he would feed the hungry. He would do all kinds of different things, right? Heal the blind. Um, And now I'm like in today's world, we, we don't see as many, uh, you know, lepers running around. Now, you know, with COVID, we treat people like lepers sometimes, but uh, <laughs> we typically don't see as many lepers running around, uh, people needing to heal the blind. Like, we've made a ton of advancements, right, in so many of these areas that have saved people's hearing, that have saved people's sight, um, that have, you know, heal people who are crippled or whatever. You know, like, we, we've, we've made a lot of progress. We obviously still have all of those things among us today. Still have the poor, still have the hungry, still have, um, you know, the sick and, and all that. But I think it looks a lot different than it did then. And so to me, I'm like, all right, what is it now? Like, What is decimating people's lives now? If you look at what it is, to me, I think it's uh, mental health a lot of times. A lot of times it's not knowing how to have a strong marriage, right? not knowing how to have a strong marriage, not knowing how to resolve conflict, not knowing how to uh, budget and, and to invest and to do, you know do well with your money. Um, I think it's not knowing how to, obviously not knowing how to evangelize as well, I think is in there. Um, but a lot of these practical issues, right, that lead to people having divorce, that lead to people, um, you know, struggling in their lives uh, and having these big issues that, that actually draw people away from their faith. How many Catholics did I grow up with that led my retreats when I was a ratchet, you know, little high schooler um, who now are, went to public universities and just have gone and become full-blown leftists? right and they're they just their religion now is, is liberalism is and progressivism and they're just feminism and uh you know blm and abortion and all of these things like that's what they champion now they don't champion the faith anymore so i'm watching all these people fall away from the faith and get divorced and leave the church and all this stuff and i'm just like and then and i'm like what am i drawn to all these protestants for i'm like well, Gary Chapman, five love languages. everybody knows about that book, right Great Protestant author, Dave Ramsey, Total Money Makeover. everybody knows about him. why? Why is he the one that's shared in Catholic churches? you know um, you think about John Eldridge speaks about manhood and masculinity and and restoring the culture in that way. Uh, love his books. I read four of them in my first like two years out of college. So I'm like they're speaking to these practical needs, right like they're the ones actually addressing some of these things. And then you go to a, a not all mass on Sunday, not Father Jacob's masses on Sunday, but you go to a lot of masses across the country on Sunday, and you don't hear about anything practical or encouraging or even like formational theology wise, right? Like it's so often just like these, these weak messages that don't challenge you, that don't help you to grow. They don't encourage and awaken, you know, masculinity within men. And <clears throat> I was like, that's the practical need that's what I think is one of the biggest differences and how I think that seeking excellence can help by being that place where people can come and say, wow, Catholicism has a lot to say about this stuff. You know, the church has, has the ultimate authority on all of these things. And how can we shed light on that and help people to live the best life that they can?
3: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's really easy. Um, like, cause Catholic faith is so rich, so full, you can never really stop learning. It, it's super easy to get drawn down the path of like, Oh, this is this is like an academic affair for me. I'm going to like learn as much as I can. I know many times, like um, I've just been, you know, I, I would learn a ton about a topic, but then I would never even think about like how to like implement it into my life mm-hmm. at all. So I could give a I could give a nice little 10-minute speech about how people should be meek or something like that, and then <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't even know how to do it myself, like in a practical manner. So I yeah. definitely agree with you there.
0: Yeah, we actually had a sister Marie Cecile come in last night. She's a mother at. Uh, down in Cincinnati, I don't know if you've met her, but she, uh, she just talked about that. She's like, it's one thing to read about abandonment to divine pro- divine providence. It's another to actually live it. And right. I think that's what you're really striving to help people do is actually live this Christian call towards excellence.
1: Right, exactly, man. And so what you guys hit on earlier was really important in my life too, of realizing you're right, like you, the world rewards you for specializing in one area, right? is like we have these seven pillars And like the world wants you to just do one of them, right? Like most times in college, it's like, just focus on your grades. Like just do your grades, forget about your faith, just party on the weekends to blow off the steam, but just like you need to study. And that's what most people will tell you to do, right? Don't, Don't worry. Relationship, friendships, none of that stuff. Like just focus on your grades. That's all that matters right now. And you can see that as I read a lot of personal growth and things, you know, I've read a majority of the books on this bookshelf. We have four other bookshelves in this house. I read a ton. I've read a ton and I've watched a lot of people. And the same way that I tried to watch basketball players as I was growing up and start to emulate their moves and make my game a combination of a bunch of different players. That's why I started doing with people in life. And it's like, man, I love David Goggins, right? Like I love mental toughness, all this stuff, oh, but I don't want to be. The the... <laughs> yeah. Right. Who's going to carry the boats? Love him. But you also realize like, wait a minute, but he's divorced. He's, you know, not living any type of a, mm. a Christian or Catholic lifestyle. Mm. So I have to have my limits on what I can take from him. Right. And you have to not only do that with celebrities, you know, or like the big profiles, but also just your friends and your aunts and uncles, right? (laughs) So people free. And it's like, we have to start to measure the fruit on people's trees and say, okay, do I actually want that now? I do want to have something similar to David Goggins mental toughness, but he's not going to be my religious or financial guru or anything like that. Right. So I started realizing the limitations in so many things, and I think I saw the same thing in the church so many times of all these people who wanted to be my spiritual mentors or guide me in life and, and encourage me, uh, you know, spiritually, it was like, there's, there's something lacking in, in the life that they've created. And I started to notice that. And I was like, you know, um, it's so true for so many people who go to mass every day, or especially young people, I think that they just, ne- they neglect physical fitness or they neglect learning about money and, and being a good steward of that. And it's especially frustrating for me coming from my background where my parents argued about money all the time. How are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to do whatever? I was making more money than my parents, uh, you know, very early on in my career. And uh, I, I saw so many, there's so many, especially in like the Instagram world, the Catholic Twitter world, where there's so many like uh, of these, these young men and women who have come from really, really not good backgrounds, you know, like really, really financially successful backgrounds. And they just don't care about money. They don't, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who don't tithe, you know, who are young and Catholic. And I'm just like, man, like this, this is not right. Like we have to be good stewards of everything God entrusts us. Like Jesus talked a good bit about money for us to just not care about it. Right. And everybody wants to be like a faux uh, St. Francis of Assisi acting like we're just going around living lives of poverty. And it's like, you're not, <laughs> like you have nice things, you know, like you have, you have money. Like you have to be mindful of how you use that. In my experience, going to different on mission trips to countries, going to Afghanistan. Um, I went to four mission trips abroad during college and then went to Afghanistan a few years after. And when you see true poverty, you're like, man, I have a responsibility to be a good steward with my money and to be generous and to help other people. Right. Like you start to realize like poverty is real, man. And like we have poverty in America, but it's not like poverty in other places and other places don't have the opportunities to, to grow and to, accumulate wealth the way that we do uh, and we ought to in my opinion share that with with other people you know and do well so that we can um, help others and so yeah I think it's so important for people to start to realize you know where those limitations are and I think we have to realize too um, that in evangelization like who you are matters when you're trying to evangelize somebody else you know like when I when I led faith formation for those catholics in the basic training like they were uh, armor, they were like ca- cavalry. I don't know if you guys know what cavalry is, but their cavalry armor was like their branch, right? And infantry is, is known to be we, it was very cocky, we to like consider ourselves the best, right? And it often is the number one branch. Everything else supports the infantry, right? So the infantry is the most like basic part of a, the army, right, of any military. It's like your ground soldiers who fight. And I'm like, you know how <laughs> you always use the example that I'm like, if, I, if yeah, like they might have still listen to me if I was a cook right? If I was like a finance officer or something like that, right? Like if I was some nerd in the military, but they really listened to me because I was an infantry officer. You know what I mean? And when I came back with a ranger tab, they listened even more, you know? And like, we we try to avoid the reality that that stuff matters, right? Which is why I love our Father Myers of the world, Father Jacobs of the world, you know, who recognized that like, yeah, you have to like be masculine and like stay in shape and like challenge yourself as a man and you know, and pray as a priest, you know, they recognize that like, that stuff matters. And when you can do that, like, you're going to attract and draw the men. And when you get men, you can draw the families. But we so often in the church try to be so nice that we don't, uh, you know, try to offend anybody, or we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So we just let anybody do anything. And we never challenge each other to be like, dude, you know, like, you need to grow and be better so that you can be a more effective evangelist. If you're going to go work, especially in the secular world, like be good at your job. You know, if you're good at your job and you're a holy person, people are going to be a lot more drawn and open to learning about the faith. It's just Definitely. a reality, you know, but we don't like to talk about things like that. We just let people be lukewarm and average and then <laughs> wonder why the church is shrinking, you know. Yeah,
0: totally. Totally.
3: yeah, so you were talking there about like why people like why people would listen to you. And I think me and Johnny really like try to focus on this here because we run a Bible study on Wednesdays and and there's something about like, we have to, we have to be like an example for like why they should even like listen to us at all. So I think we had a talk, like it's probably beginning of last year or something. Like if, if the people that we see, like if if the people in our Bible study see us, like walking back from the bars uptown at at 2am, walking back to the house, like there's just like zero credibility there about, uh, like why they should even like, keep hanging around us or keep listening to us so I think by just having by having somebody like like to be credible to it like holds us like accountable for what we're doing like we have to be really intentional about like what we're doing every day and I feel like it's really helped me um as just like another check like I don't want to do this because like man what if I run into somebody from bible study or something like that so it's it's really uh it's really been helpful but yeah just that's super that's super awesome
0: yeah yeah and i know uh nathan i don't know how much time you have today i don't want to take up your whole morning uh but i did want to ask um if you have anything uh you'd be want to share lastly like what do you think is the biggest uh thing that most catholics uh might be missing today in the realm of excellence and like how can we uh get after it and try to really really get after that virtue of excellence
1: yeah i think there's some some supporting virtues or, or things that, that help people to, to pursue, pursue excellence in their life. And I think one of those is, is extreme ownership. So, you know, I love Jocko and uh, read, listened to his book multiple times. Um, I love both the economy of leadership and extreme ownership, but taking extreme ownership in your life, I think is, is, is something that everybody needs to understand and to, to really do. Um, And extreme ownership is the concept that you are, I mean, it's just, it's really embracing reality is what it is. And it's embracing the reality that you are the ultimate difference maker and whether or not you are successful or unsuccessful in all of the seven pillars, right. And everything that you do, like you are the difference maker in your finances. You're the difference maker in your relationships. You know, like when you read relationship books, like we all, they often talk about uh, how it, it works best when each person takes hundred percent ownership you know, when they own 100%, and 100% versus trying to think 5050. And it's everything fair all the time and all this stuff, right? Um, you know, but you just take 100% ownership, your, your relationship could be a lot better. You know, if you read like love and respect, when they always talk about the crazy cycle between a man and a woman, it's like, which one should should stop it, right? This this cycle of disrespect and unloving actions and things like that. And his, the author's answer is whichever one's most mature, you know, and so it's like, just be the most mature one, like, just be the one that can create a peaceful, happy relationship or home or whatever it is. So taking that extreme ownership that says, you know, I am, and it's hard in this world of, in this age of victimization to do that, to say, you know, and I, for a long time made excuses of my past, of my race, of all these different things of of why people treated me wrong or why I didn't get the the results that I wanted. Um, and then it's like, man, there's literally no benefit in doing that. And when you can accept that and say, you know, it's, it's up to me, uh, you know, and obviously by the grace of God, you know, whatever his will be done, but like, I need to do my part to work as hard as I need to, or to put in the effort, put in the time, put in the prayer, right. Um, to do what's necessary. Uh, I think that's one of them. The second one I would say is intentionality. Uh, you know, nobody ever like drifts into excellence. You have to create like plans and set goals and and be intentional about the way that you're going to seek excellence in your life. You know, so I'm constantly writing out different plans and I'm really drawn to the financial one. I'm really drawn to spiritual one, uh, pillars. I, I, and I love physical fitness as well. So those are some of my easiest ones to, to really get intentional about. But I have to be intentional. And I have a, a board meeting each week with my fiance. Um, we plan out our date night for the week. We talk about like, how is, you know, your love tank for this week? How are things going? Uh, check in on like mental health, you know, like, have you been reading? Uh, so I have to be intentional with how I, set up uh, the rest of the pillars that I might not be always as focused on or always as, as attentive to. Um, and so intentionality would be the second. And the third, the third one, last one, I would say is just that mental toughness, you know, is, is staying hard like Coggins tells us too. And uh, I think a lot of people quit because they're weak minded and you just can't survive the spiritual life. You can't survive a relationship. You can't survive the financial journey of the ups and downs of the market, things like that. If you don't have mental toughness, um, and if you don't have the the resilience to stay in the fight when things are not going as, as well as you'd hoped, <laughs> you know, and it's always going to happen. I, you know, I just had a big bout with that between COVID and getting my wallet stolen and all the things that have happened recently um, in my life. It's been a super challenging time. And so I just did a podcast on this, actually. But you have to learn how to suffer well and to just be willing to create your mission, you know, like understand what God's purpose for your life is and really own that and embrace that. It's such a deep and intimate way that you can never forget it, and so that way, when you know people come and adversity comes and spiritual warfare comes, you can stay on track with a general idea of where you're supposed to be going, who you're supposed to be, and how you're supposed to live your life. And if you know that and you have that philosophy ahead of time, then you're going to be able prepared when the temptation to quit or to settle for less it presents itself to you.
0: Wow! So extreme ownership intentionality. Mental toughness. I yeah. think that's a pretty, That's a pretty good trio <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. We're
1: going yeah, those... to start
0: preaching that at the Newman Center here. <laughs> <laughs> very,
1: very necessary things that I think are often lacking in, in Catholic circles. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome.
0: Definitely. I love awesome. it. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on today, Nathan. Really, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure having you, hearing your stories, hearing your words of wisdom. Um, and if anyone wants to hear about you, where, where can they go? Uh, yeah, could you,
1: those who seek.org is that correct those who seek.org yeah that's the website and then you can just search seeking excellence podcast uh anywhere that you find podcasts so you can find us on there as well yeah and then our, 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 we're on instagram for seeking excellence at seeking 365 and then mine is N crank 23 uh nice. for, for instagram as well yeah
0: let's nice. go that sounds awesome well uh yeah, thank other- you guys
1: so much for having me
0: oh yeah, yeah it's it. our pleasure really <laughs> um and and father jacob just walked in again so
2: father could you close out in a quick prayer sure That's in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen heavenly father we thank you for the gift of today we thank you for uh your blessings may we continually use every single blessing we've been given in our lives to continually to seek excellence in that and Use all our resources to continually pursue you, Lord, and to know your grace and peace. In the midst of difficulties, to know you're there always to strengthen us, to guide us, and to walk with us. We commend our day and our lives to you, Lord, ask Mother Mary and St. Joseph to be with us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. We pray. Glory be to the Father, and to, and to the, the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning is now, Son's and ever shall be, Jesus world at end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> Love it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Nathan, you are officially now a sheepdog. I hope yeah. you know. Oh, wow. What a gift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sheepdog's out. Yeah, sheepdog. Just <laughs> do it! Listen!